Let's pray before we come to look at God's Word together. Let's ask for His help. Our gracious God, we, we pray that You would help us now in these minutes, that we would see You more clearly, that we would love You more dearly, and we would follow You more nearly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Nigel prayed about the um, airstrikes that I think the UK and the US are involved in 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 Yemen. Uh, In our prayer, we know there's conflict in Israel and in um, uh, well in Gaza, Uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia, and even closer to home, isn't it? We we live in a fractured and divided culture, society. So I think it's a wonderful blessing for us this morning to come together and to think about the unity that God has given his church. Last time we we started in chapter 4 in verse 3 where uh, Paul instructs us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we noted straight away as we come to think about unity together that the unity that exists in God's church, including here at Grace Fellowship, it is not something that we've created, that we've manufactured. Rather, it has been given to us and created by God himself. And for the Apostle Paul, it was a, a key ingredient for us as Christians in order to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received as children of God, is to make every effort to keep this unity that God has given us. Uh, And then we went back to to verse 2, and and we really considered how Christian unity depends on our conduct. Uh, And for God, through the Apostle Paul, his priority was to address our mindset. Our attitude must be correct for Christ-like conduct to be forthcoming in our lives. And what a challenge the commands were that that we looked at um, to to be completely humble. Sorry, let me bring them back. Oh, I've gone wrong. To be completely humble and gentle, uh, to be patient, uh, to bear with one another, (laughs) to be loving. We spent some time on humility, and then then we sped a little through the other four commands, but but please don't worry, we will come back to them again as we go through chapters 4 to 6 in Ephesians. But today, we're going to think a little bit more about how Christian unity comes from our God. I think it is the main thrust of verses 4 to 6. And whilst we know that the Apostle Paul in this second half of the letter is really keen to move on to some practical instruction, I find it interesting that after Paul gives this command to keep the unity of the Spirit in verse 3, he recognizes a need to tell us a little bit more about this supernatural unity that God's given his church. So I think actually what we have in Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 4 down to verse 16, is a return to some doctrine, key things that a Christian really should know, to some theology, 
And it reminds me a little bit of chapter 3. If you remember chapter 3 in verse 1, uh, you start for this very reason, and Paul's about to pray. But then the Spirit causes him to digress. And he, no, there's more I've got to tell you about the mystery of Christ and how I'm a servant for the gospel. And then you get all the way down to verse 14, and he finally does pray. And to me, it, it just seems a bit similar here in chapter 4. Paul's keen to move on to instruction. He opens verse 2. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, uh, bear with each other, uh, be loving, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Hold on a minute. <laughs> let, let me talk a little bit more about this unity before we go on, because his next command doesn't come until verse 17, to no longer live as the Gentiles do. You see, Paul pauses his instruction to teach us more about this special unity, how it comes from God, verses 4 to 6, how Jesus has given every Christian spiritual gifts, verses 7 to 12, to bless the unity that he's given us, and how these gifts help us to grow together in faith and knowledge and to maturity, verses 13 to 16. Then comes his next command. Well, as we start to look at verses 4 to 6, I want to begin by making three initial observations. Now, here's the, the first one, that the key word is very obviously one. Notably, Paul uses it seven times. Seven being a number that in biblical numerology, it is important, isn't it? Seven represents perfection, completion. Our God is perfect and complete. So is the salvation that he has called Christians to, as is the unity that he's blessed us with. I think the key feature for me of these verses is another reference to the Trinity. Verse 4, one spirit. Note the capital S. This is the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, one Lord. That is God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, verse 6, one God and Father of all. Therefore, it is my belief the key emphasis of these verses is this, that the one unified God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has created the one unified Christian family. We are one body. We have one hope, one faith, one baptism. Well, to help us grasp this, we're going to break this verse down into three parts, uh, starting with verse 4. And just the first part of verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. And my first point is simply this. There is one body because there is only one spirit. And I think this is as far as we're going to get today. <laughs> uh, some people felt, you know, quite rightly, I went a bit quicker yesterday, so I'm not going to go too fast this week at all. This is as far as we're going to get to go today. Then next time we'll consider that there is one hope, faith, and baptism because there is one Lord, but I'll try and squeeze in as well next time, that there is one Christian family, because there is one God and Father of that family. But let's begin by thinking about the fact that there is one body. As we saw in the reading in Corinthians, Paul liked to use uh, this body metaphor when talking about the church. 
He, he uses others as well. We've already seen in Ephesians, actually, in chapter 2, uh, that Paul uses a number of images uh, in making reference to the church. Uh, he calls us in chapter 2 a nation. Uh, we've seen a, a family as an image used by Paul, both in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Also in chapter 2, he refers to the church as a holy temple. And when we get, move on and eventually get to chapter 5, we'll see that Paul really alludes to the church as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, if you read Paul's letter, you'll know that body really was his favorite metaphor for the church. And it's quite unique to Paul. Uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John both have letters in the New Testament, and they don't really use this phrase, body. And I was prompted as I was preparing this week by another pastor to ponder why does Paul use this image of a body for the church so much? It is clearly a very helpful image to use. That has to be his first importance as to why he uses it. But is there another reason why? Why? I think there might be. Now, this is slightly subjective, but I'm not alone in thinking this because, and I think it might be helpful for us, I, I wonder, and we never know this, but I just wonder whether or not Paul's conversion played a part in the way that he uses body. Some of you will be very familiar with the Apostle Paul. Some of you may not be. <laughs> This man, of which there is so much that he proclaims about the Lord Jesus in the Bible, but there is also so much historical evidence for in the world around us. <laughs> uh, travel Europe and you'll see places where the Apostle Paul visited and, uh, and you can look at the history. This man existed. He's a real person. And if you know anything about this man, you'll know that at one point he was dead set on destroying the church. He was a passionate Jew. He had no time whatsoever for Jesus Christ uh, and in the book of Acts, you'll read of Paul wanting to arrest Christians, locking up Christians, giving his approval to the killing of Christians. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus to shut down the church there. But then, on his way, Jesus appears to him in awesome light. Now, this is what Jesus says. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul replies. I mean, imagine seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord in all his glory. I'm not that much of an actor. I, I don't know what that expression was like. Who are you, Lord? He, I think he knew he was in trouble. And such was Jesus' appearance on the road to Damascus. Notice how he just addresses him straight away as Lord. And I'm sure in his mind, he's probably naturally thinking defensively, I'm not persecuting you. I would never persecute you. But what does Jesus say? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, don't those words of the Lord Jesus Christ tie in so well with what we've been reminded of and we're being taught in the book of Ephesians that a Christian is someone who is in Christ. When God calls us to believe in Jesus, as we, we listen to God's word being proclaimed, as we read the Bible, and we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we are joined with him for eternity. What an amazing reality. And this truth of being joined with Jesus is so evident, isn't it, by exactly what Jesus said to Paul on the way to Damascus. That when we are persecuted for our faith, when we are made fun of, when we are mocked, when we are hurt, so is Jesus. We're joined with him. Have a read of Acts chapter 22 or um, Acts chapter 26, or both, and you'll see that Paul never forgot this meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you wouldn't, would you? (laughs) But what is also clear in both those chapters in Acts is that he also didn't forget what Jesus had said to him. Why do you persecute me? Surely he realized there and then, every Christian is joined with Christ. He fills us. We're part of his body. And whilst we are his body, it is clear that he is the head. He is the command center. He is the authority. We didn't read these verses this time. We read them last time. But if you've got your Bibles open, look down at verses 15 and 16. This is what Paul says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Just as Paul, back in chapter 2, points to the Lord Jesus Christ as the essential cornerstone in that foundation, well, so here again in chapter 4, as he starts to talk about the body and this unity that we enjoy, he points to the Lord Jesus Christ again as the essential head, the head of the body. Yet in using this body metaphor, and then when we think about Paul's conversion, the reality of all that Paul has been teaching us about our salvation in Christ, it really comes to life, doesn't it? When we rejoice, Jesus knows our joy. (laughs) And when we are hurting, Jesus knows our pain. Now, a small point, but it's, I think it's an important one to make. When, when Paul is talking about maintaining unity, he's not asking for uniformity. Uniformity and unity are not really the same. Some of you will know that, regrettably, I support West Ham. When West Ham play... Those outfall players go out onto the pitch all wearing the same kit, the same uniform. But right now, especially against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago, they're not playing with much unity. You see, you can ask people to all dress the same way, and yet their hearts can be far from united. And one of the beautiful things about the church is that the unity, as described here by Paul, is not about diminishing diversity. Everyone being dressed in the same uniform, the same straitjackets. Rather, the unity God has given us embraces the diversity of believers from all different backgrounds, from all different countries, from all different social classes. 
I think it's another reason why this body metaphor is so helpful, because our bodies are formed of many different parts. An emphasis of the reading that we had from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. An ear looks very different and and serves a different purpose to an eye. But they're both important. (laughs) They're both crucial to the body. Ask anyone who's had trouble with hearing or with their vision. All the parts of the body are important just as every single believer is important to the church. All parts of the body are important. We're we're vital. We form part of the one body. We, We need every single part, every single believer to function as we should do. And, and no one, no one has any prominence over another. No, no part of the body has prominence over another part of the body. Only Jesus has authority, true authority. He is the head. We are one body, one church. Paul is encouraging unity here rather than uniformity. Now, some might say, I don't really get this, and nor do I believe what the Bible is saying. I see lots of churches. I see Baptist churches, the Church of England churches, FIEC churches, New Frontier churches, Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian churches. I could go on. And sadly, I think as Christians, we we have to put our hands up and say actually that the church today really doesn't look and often doesn't act as, as it should do. However, that in no way takes away from the truth of what Paul is telling us here, nor the invisible reality that there is just one church, one body. It exists across all denominations of the church. It may not include those who go to church every single week. It may not include every member of a church. It may not even include everyone that's been baptized. The one true church consists of everyone who has accepted God's love and mercy in his son, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins and have placed their trust in him. We may be visibly different, uh, sorry, we may be uh, visibly in, in different churches, But there is only one true body. There's only one church. I think we get a great flavor and see something of the body on a a bigger scale on the Kent Gospel Partnership days. There's the women's conference coming up. I think there might be a general conference in the year. The men's, there's still time. Nigel said it earlier. Come next week. There will be there Christians from other denominations to ourselves, but we're, we're evangelical Christians. We believe in the truth of God's Word, the Bible, and in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one body. Why is there one body? Well, because... Oh, I think I've fallen behind. Because there is one Spirit. One Spirit who joins us to Jesus and to each other. Let's go back to to 1 Corinthians 12, some verses that we read earlier, verses 13 and 14. This is what Paul said there. 
For we, and he's talking about Christians, were all baptized. And we'll come back to this verse next time. One baptism, remember. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. You see, it is the Holy Spirit who creates the one body. He is the one who opens our ears to hear the good news about Jesus. He is the one who opens our eyes to see the Lord Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our hearts to receive the Lord Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin. I read this um, recently. I can't remember where. (laughs) I'm reading much more than what I ever used to read. And one of the troubles when you read a bit more than what you used to, I'm not saying I read a lot, but sometimes you go, oh, where did I read that? (laughs) And I can't find it, and I didn't highlight it. But this is what I read. I think my children are already fed up of me saying this now. It's just a take on the gospel, and this is what it was. The gospel, as in the good news about Jesus, does two things. It takes you down low before it lifts you way up high. The gospel does two things. It takes you down low before it lifts you way up high. I found it really helpful. You see, watch out for those who claim to be Christians but can only relate to the high. When the Holy Spirit really starts to work in an unbeliever's heart, you'll be confronted by the truth about Jesus. And over time, whether that be a short period of time or a long period of time, you'll become convinced that it's true. Read um, Acts chapter 2. You see it happening on the day of Pentecost. It's true that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for you, to reconcile you to him. The Holy Spirit will prompt you to stop comparing your life with others and to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and to see God's standard of living. And it will humble you. The Holy Spirit will help you to listen to what Jesus says about sin and the real nature of the human heart. Many don't listen, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will listen. And then he'll open your eyes to look at the world around you and you'll start seeing things more and more different. It is broken. There is selfishness, there is greed, there is slander, gossip, cheating. It is the Holy Spirit who will cause you to take an honest look at your own heart and to ask yourself, am I ready to see God when this life is over? Am I? And you'll know you're not ready. That's the low. And I believe everyone that has come to the Lord Jesus, you know that low, something of that low. When you finally realize, as the hymn writer puts it, our lives are naught without thee. But it's at the cross where your love ran red and my sin was washed white. I owe all to you, Jesus. And at last, you'll see the Lord Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, for your iniquities taking the punishment that you deserved. And it's the Holy Spirit who prompts us to finally ask the Lord Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to ask him to be our Lord and Savior. At which point, 
that same Spirit who has been working comes and enters you and dwells within you forevermore. And God makes us alive in Christ. He raises us up spiritually right now with the Lord Jesus Christ. That in, the, in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace, his kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at it. If you're not a Christian here today, I, I wonder if it's because you just want the high. <laughs> you just want the, the peace. Oh, finally saved. Finally can join in with everyone else. But your pride prevents you from humbly recognizing your own shortcomings. Your own desperate need for a savior. That's a dangerous place to be. To, to become a Christian is to accept the whole message of the gospel. It is to allow the one spirit to take you down low. To see the very worst, the depth of your own heart. But then as you see those hearts, you begin to realize that God sees the depths of your own heart and he loves you the same. We sing a song with those words. If you're in that position today, ask the Holy Spirit, please, to help you to let go of your pride. That is, if you do not want to perish and you want to have eternal life, the gospel does two things. Through that spirit, it takes you down low, but it lifts you up high. And, and all of us as Christians would be able to tell you, you know, there is so much relief and blessing when we finally get on our knees before our maker and say, please forgive me, Lord Jesus. We need to know the low to truly rejoice in the high. I was thinking about the work of the one spirit this week and this hymn kept coming to me. I know not how God's wondrous grace... Do, do we sing it here, Rachel, Jess? Yeah. I know, not, um, I know not how God's wondrous grace to me has been made known. Well, there's a verse there that I think wonderfully captures the work of the spirit. And we realize when people become Christians, it's got nothing to do with us. It's all about God's word being proclaimed and the spirit being at work. Here's the verse. I know not how the spirit moves convincing men of sin. I don't know how it happens, but it does. Revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. There is one body because there is only one spirit creating faith in Jesus. However, the, the work of the one spirit isn't only in creating the one body. Another key task is the way the spirit helps us each and every Christian uh, in the body, and gives us this, this unity. R remember, the Christian is not only joined with the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are joined with each other. And, and the one spirit does not divide himself up. <laughs> he doesn't divide himself up. There, there's not a different part of the Holy Spirit this morning that was in Jess as she played. And then another part in Nigel as he led the service. And another part in uh, Pip and Sophie. Uh, and another part in Malcolm. No, the same Holy Spirit dwells in each believer. Each part of the body. 
So using Paul's metaphor, <laughs> I need you to work with me here, I want, to I want you to, to visualize the five I've just mentioned as fingers on my hand. I've got to be careful here. That's the widest one. That's Malcolm. <laughs> uh, what have we got? I've got to remember. Jess, Nigel's the tallest, Pip and Sophie. Here we all are. Each finger operates independently of each other, don't they? But we're all joined to the one body. And although they move ind individually, that they're all being instructed, aren't they, by my head. <laughs> right now, I'm telling them, wave around all separately. Make the point. <laughs> wave. There you go. Look, they're coordinated. But you see, just like Jess, Nigel, Sophie, Pip, and me, we serve together in God's Spirit, who is at work through the body, coordinating us to serve together this Sunday. We're individual Christians, but we're joined together by the one Spirit. How? Verse 3, through the bond of peace. The permanent peace that Jesus has made for us, both with God and with each other. We're the body, Jesus is the head, and he's leading us today <laughs> through his Spirit that dwells in each part of the body. <laughs> I'm really sorry about this. Back to my body. <laughs> it, it, it's essential, isn't it? In order for my fingers to fully function, to remain part of the body. If I was doing some DIY and I accidentally chopped off one of my fingers, <laughs> sorry, that's a really bad illustration. I don't do a lot of DIY. I need to change this. Um, if a tantum, tantums do lots of DIY, if a tantum was doing lots of DIY and they accidentally decapitated one of their fingers, is that decapitated finger of any use? Has it got any strength? Has it got any support? Has it got any life? No, none. If that happened, you're whizzing down the hospital and... <laughs> Probably, in Quinter's case, it'd be Rachel that picks it up and says, take this with you. <laughs> it needs to be reattached. It must be, our fingers must be connected to the body for circulation, for strength, to be useful, to, to be able to heal, sometimes to uh, support uh, an, uh, another finger or to, for that finger to be strapped alongside uh, a finger. Well, so it is for the Christian. We need, we are, and we'll never be broken, but that attachment to the body with instruction from the head is essential, especially in the hard times in life. And you see, it is the Holy Spirit that is the source of strength to each part of the body. It's the Holy Spirit who prompts us, like he prompted the psalmist time and time again, thousands of years ago, sometimes to talk to ourselves when we're down in the doldrums, when we're in the middle of a really difficult trial and, and we can't see the way out and we're doubting God. And, and this is what the Holy Spirit prompted the psalmist to say, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet, I know the future, the psalmist is saying, I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And you read those two Psalms, 42 and 43. 
Sylvia, Mary and I have been looking at these psalms. And it's repeated three times. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't listening to himself as the Holy Spirit prompted him. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to pray and who intercedes for us. Here are words from Romans. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What an encouragement that is, brothers and sisters. Have you been in that position? I've been there several times. Something desperate happens. Maybe sometimes when we lose a loved one, isn't it? And we didn't see it happening. How can this be part of your plan, Lord? And I don't know how to pray about this situation. The hurt that my brother and sister are in, I, I don't know. And do you know, sometimes we can just be quiet, meditate on it, and the Spirit will intercede for us and express that to our Father. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's the Holy Spirit that causes us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, I'm really glad I've got the Holy Spirit because that's sure going to help me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand more about God through the Bible. John 14, 26. It's the Holy Spirit who fills us with God's presence and helps us to declare His truth boldly. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. To close... If you're walking in the woods and you get a little thorn in one of your toes because you weren't wearing the proper footwear, you have two choices, don't you? <laughs> One, you can ignore it and manage the pain. Or two, you can stop, take off your shoe, sock, find that little thorn and take it out. Relieve your toe. Well, you choose to ignore it. It hurts, but you carry on with your walk, managing the pain. Now you go to bed. <laughs> and incredibly, somehow in the morning, the pain's still there, but it doesn't seem quite as bad. But over time, <laughs> it starts to swell up. And you're thinking, oh, I've got to go to church. <laughs> and Esther's going to say, I told you to deal with that. <laughs> and your foot starts to get bigger and bigger. And then you notice it's starting to go dark red. And it's very hot. And you know it's infected. And before you know it, you're off to A&E. <clears throat> the thing is, the whole body knew about that thorn when it first happened. And if you had just stopped and taken the thorn out straight away, well, you'd have avoided A&E. Well, here's what I want us to think about. I think it is likely that each Sunday we have people here in God's church, part of the body here, you may have a little thorn hurting them. Maybe it's a trial that they're going through, a temptation that they're, they're battling. Perhaps they're mourning, grieving, struggling with a family situation or uh, something that's happened at work. And you see, in our sinful nature, we are often so fixated with ourselves and our needs, or we focus on those members of the body that, that we're closer to that we can fail to see or realize the pain 
that a brother or sister is going through with a little thorn. And they may not say anything to us because it feels insignificant to them or they're a bit embarrassed by sharing anything. So I was wondering whether or not, as a church, and maybe some of us already do this, whether or not when church services finish, whether or not we should all just pause and just silently ask the Holy Spirit, help me to see, help me to feel where there's a thorn in one of my brothers or sisters today, where, where maybe you can use me, Lord, to help our body as we look after and love one another. Help me to see. Help me to feel it. And if we're the ones with the thorn, well, God is perfect. The unity he's given us is perfect, but sadly we're still battling away, aren't we, with our sinful nature. But I pray we'd have courage to just speak at least to one other member of the body and say, I've got this thorn. Will you help me? It may mean that you go and talk to someone you don't really know, but the Spirit prompts you to be bold and to go across and talk to that person that you can see on their own. Maybe they're struggling with something. Let us be a church that with the help and leading of the one Spirit looks out for and addresses the thorns, avoiding infection and A&E as we make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Amen. We'll we're just pray, and then we'll then sing, and then we're, Nigel will close our time together, but let us pray. Father God, thank you for giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. We pray for any here who are not part of your body, your church. Oh, Holy Spirit, open their hearts this day, we pray. Bring them to the cross of the Lord Jesus on their knees and lift them high in his resurrection. And for those of us in the body, part of your body, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes, ears, and hearts to receive Jesus. Please would you forgive us for the times when we've missed thorns and hurts in members of your body. Please give us your eyes. Please help us to feel each part of the body and to know where we can help and where we can make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.